Do it. Make the noise. <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> Here's the bloopers for the beginning of the episode. No. No, I can't. I'm just going to stop talking now. You're listening to the CXMH Podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Hey, welcome back to the show. My name is Robert Vore, and I'm one of your hosts, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Dr. Holly Oxhandler. Holly, how are you doing today? Hey, Robert. I am doing great. How are you doing? I am good. I'm doing I'm doing great as well. Good. I'm really excited about a couple things. So, Yeah? What are you excited about? I So we – and we're definitely still not going to give it away, so people are going to get mad and start sending us uh-huh. angry letters, but <laughs> – we talked some, we've been talking some in kind uh-huh. of the intros about some some new projects, some ideas that are kind of in the works. And I put out on various social medias a thing yesterday, just, hey, I think it was last night even. Uh-huh. Uh, we're, we're recording this on, on Wednesday, just, you know, for so folks don't get too confused. But uh-huh. uh, I put out a thing, you know, hey, who do, people help me make some connections. I need licensed mental health professionals, you know, kind of anywhere in the country that also have some kind of faith, church background, whatever. And I have been flat out overwhelmed by the responses. Mm. Oh, that's so awesome. I sat down when I got into my counseling office this morning and just went through like the messages and notifications from Instagram and from Twitter and from Facebook and kind of jotted down everybody's info that had said something and their emails or whatever. And I had mm. over 30 people that I'd never heard of, which is obviously in addition to people like yourself or people that we've had on the show that I already kind of had in mind, uh. but like over 30 people that I've never heard of, which is awesome. And then mm. since that time, my phone has not stopped obviously not going off in the middle of the session, but right. the notifications lighting up or whatever. And every time I check it, there's like all these, a bunch more responses and stuff. And so just this huge, I guess, outpouring of connections is oh, so that's... cool to see of like, look at all these people who love Jesus and love mental health and are passionate about kind of the intersection of those two things and seeing it work really well. And, you know, none of them know kind of why I was asking or what the project is. Yeah. You know, it's uh it's been really cool to see kind of that, that I was expecting a handful of people and maybe I already knew most of them, mm-hmm. but no, there's so many. Yeah. And what a great encouragement just seeing how many folks are interested at this intersection and, you know, and have, you know, our licensed professionals who are interested in working with the church and the inner, you know, in the role of faith in mental health yeah. treatment. I love that. I know yeah. I've got to give you my list. We, <laughs> I told you I was going to get back to you on that. And I've, I've given, you know, there's some that I've helped connect with, but, but I've got a list of folks. So what a great source of encouragement and hope and, you know, just just to clarify, because you you mentioned licensed professionals, and that's not at all to say, obviously, neither of us believe that you have to be a licensed professional to help do mental health advocacy or or help churches or anything like that. But specifically for what I have in mind for this project, that's kind of what I'm looking for. But obviously, there's plenty of people that are listening that aren't licensed in anything. And that's awesome, too. Yeah. That's awesome. That's so exciting. Well, good. I can't wait to hear more about that as it unfolds and, you know, as you do more. So 
That's good. So, hey, if you're a listener and either you are or you know of somebody who fits that description, right, a licensed mental health professional of any sort who also is passionate about the intersection of these and helping engage churches better, ministries or faith communities, send us send us an email, uh, cxmhpodcast at gmail.com. Send us an email with some information in it. We'd love to tell you a little bit more about it and see if, if you'd be interested. Yeah, I love it. That's awesome. Well, you want to hear what I get to do tomorrow? Yes. Right along those lines? Yes. So tomorrow, well, actually tonight I'm heading up in Dallas. There is an event called Ology. It's a symposium that's designed to be a dialogue between psychology and theology. And I'm on a mm. um, this panel of folks talking about the intersection between faith and mental health. And my focus because I love research, is the research behind <laughs> us. And so I'm geeking out about that. And I and I found out that I'll um, actually also be able to step in and help with talking about um, stigma in the church and what we're seeing in terms of mental health stigma, specifically That's within awesome. the church. Yeah. So it's through the Pastoral Counseling Center, which is in Dallas, Texas. Hmm. Um, and there's just a really great group of folks that are coming together to talk about this. So yeah. again, just more encouragement and excitement seeing that, you know, folks are kind of catching on and seeing how these two areas of our lives are able to come together well. And how yeah. do we talk about it? And yeah. And wrestle with these topics. So yeah, people, yeah. I feel like always ask, you know, why are we so bad at this or, you know, things like that. And I feel like it's kind of 50 50 where half the time I think, man, I hear a lot of stories that are negative, but I feel like more and more, and we even did, we've talked about this on the show before we even yeah. did a whole episode with Kristen Kinsevich on it, but more mm -hmm. and more, I feel like the, the, that things are shifting, right? There's like this whole community of people saying like, Hey, there's a better way of doing this and making these work together. And, you know, kind of we're all in this together in terms of providing hope and healing. And, and so I'm so encouraging. I've also yeah. just decided that one of my new life goals is to be a speaker at a symposium because that's the fanciest Ooh! thing I've ever heard in my whole life. You're so fancy. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Well, maybe we'll just, we're going to have to have them host another symposium next year and we'll get you out here for it. How's that That is sound? the fanciest sounding word. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. So yeah. Should we tell our listeners a little bit about what's ahead for this week's episode? Yeah. Okay. I'll let you do it. All right. Sure. So y'all, this week we have Felina Hewerts who's going to be joining us. I give y'all a little bit of an intro about her, but I have been following Felina's work probably now for the last maybe year or so, a little bit over, but she's going to be talking about her first book, Pilgrimage of a Soul. And y'all, this is just, it is in my top five favorite books of all time. I cannot stress enough how incredible this book is. And you'll learn quite a bit about it in the episode ahead, but I don't know. But Robert, you you hadn't you haven't had a chance to read the book yet. And um, I haven't. You don't you haven't. <laughs> Oh sorry. You can edit that out. No, Felina's gonna listen to it and then think I'm a big fraud. No, no, no. Okay, well why don't we say this? <laughs> so Robert so Robert, what did you think about the episode? Like I I mean I know this was someone I had recommended early on when you had asked me to join as a co-host, but yeah. 
but you hadn't heard of her before that point. Right, right. Yeah, this is kind of one of the people that we've mentioned before that you're more familiar with than I am, which is always fun for me since a lot of the time it's people that that I'm more familiar with. And so you'll notice, uh, listeners, that I do much less talking in this one. I kind of sit back um, and just get to listen and, and kind of absorb, which is kind of a posture that I really love when I get to do during episodes because I just get to listen and kind mm-hmm. of take in everything um, and not try to kind of steer the ship. So Holly's uh, steering in this episode, which is fun. <laughs> uh, yeah. But no, I mean, I loved it. She makes a ton of good points. I mean, it's even called the pilgrimage of a soul, which maybe sounds like nothing if you don't know what that means. But she's talking about this this journey that the soul goes through. And I think there's a lot of really, really relevant and, and relatable content as far as where maybe some listeners are at, or I would say all of them are at somewhere on yeah, kind of the spectrum. Um, right. But in recognizing it's not just like, oh, I'm doing good spiritually or poor spiritually, but there's kind of all these steps and all this, you know, we've talked before and it's pretty common language now, I feel like to talk about deconstruction and reconstruction, but mm-hmm. she talks about it in a way that breaks it down a little bit more and is so beautiful and talks about this death and rebirth and kind of this cycle of resurrection, even as we think about things. And so, I mean, I, I, it's beautiful. Well, I'm glad that you enjoyed it. I hope that our listeners get to as well. There may be a couple of points where the audio is a little bit fuzzy, but just I hope y'all can just kind of sit through it because it is, this is a good, good episode. Yeah, I hope y'all enjoy it. Yeah, a little it. bit of background noise, uh, some yeah. construction that was happening, but it's not the whole time. Nope. I think there's some right in the beginning, but it's not all like that. So yeah, it's not even well, that bad. No, it's not. All right. Well, I, I guess without further ado... Enjoy, (laughs) y'all. Hey, welcome back to CXMH. Today, we are deeply honored to have Felina Hewitt as our guest. Felina spent much of her adult life in social justice work among the world's poor. And for nearly 20 years, she and her husband, Chris, directed an international nonprofit in more than 70 countries serving victims of trafficking, survivors of HIV and AIDS, abandoned children, and child soldiers and war brides. Discovering the limitations of the self and building a better world, Felina and Chris founded Gravity, a center for contemplative activism in 2012 to support the awakening and development of consciousness. Gravity does this by making contemplative practice accessible to those who care about healing in the world. Felina's work as a spiritual director is offered through public speaking, teaching, writing, and retreat facilitation, and private consultations as well. Uh, She holds a master's in Christian spirituality and is a certified spiritual director. And Felina is the author of Pilgrimage of a Soul, Contemplative Spirituality for the Active Life, and her forthcoming book is called Mindful Silence, The Heart of Christian Contemplation. Felina, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Oh, thank you, Holly, for the invitation. I, I really appreciate it. And I'm doing well. I'm trying to keep up with it all. And um, I was mentioning earlier that it's just, you know, it seems like a, a constant negotiation in terms of managing time and priorities and that sort of thing. So I'm kind of in the thick of it right now. It's the fall and... Um, lots of opportunities and responsibilities. Yeah. yeah, totally understand. Yes. And and you are in the midst of a lot of uh, good work that you guys are doing right now. Is there anything that I missed in the bio that you want to share with our listeners? Mm, well, it might be good to mention my puppy Basil. 
Yeah, you you <laughs> have the you have the opportunity to meet Basil. I'm a proud puppy parent yes. of two years, and uh, he's just a total delight, the joy of my life. Mm, and so he awesome. is he is such a sweet sweet dog. I yeah, I'm really grateful I had the chance to meet him. Um, and I probably should mention for our audience, just so they like know the connection that um, you have been serving as my spiritual director since earlier this summer. And that we we did have a, the opportunity to connect at Gravity's Grounding Retreat just a couple weekends back where I did get to meet you and Chris and Basil. And I talked a little bit about the retreat in our last episode. So for those listeners who got a chance to hear about that, um, I talked a little bit about that. But I'm so honored and grateful for your time and willingness to come and talk with us today, um, especially to be focusing on your first book, which is Pilgrimage of a Soul. Before we dive into your book, though, do you mind telling us a little bit about how you came into the social justice work that you were involved with for a couple of decades that preceded the journey that you really unpack um, in this book? Sure. Yeah. Well, I grew up in a Christian home and um, from an early age sensed a call to what I understood as mission work. And uh, as I went through college, I um, that vocation really began to take form and become clearer and clearer until uh, the opportunity arose to travel to Calcutta, India and serve with um, Mother Teresa and the Missionaries of Charity. And so it was um, during that time that that the vocation for serving among the most vulnerable of the world's poor really began to take hold of my life. And from there, I, um, I finished university and then joined up with this small nonprofit that was just getting started called Word Made Flesh. And, uh, and <laughs> the rest is history. I don't know how much you want to get into it. Mm. It's pretty intense, almost 20 years of my life. Yeah, no, feel, I mean, whatever you feel like sharing, please feel free to. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, so uh, this call for, um, to work among the most vulnerable of the world's poor coincided with um, a vocation for marriage. And um, my husband, Chris, was uh, a, about a year and a half ahead of me in university. And he got started with this organization and um, was living in Chennai. India as I was finishing university. After we were married, we were planning to live in Chennai, South India, and then the founding director of our little budding organization resigned. And um, it was kind of rather sudden. And at that point, we were responsible for two children's homes and um, about 40 little children and about 14 staff. So we were, um, wow. yeah, we were, we were in a, a difficult place of trying to figure out what we were going to do as an organ, as an organization. And the board of directors, um, decided to have us oversee the nonprofit and make sure that we had enough funding coming in to take care of these children and the staff, um, in India. And then it became really clear that what, had been done in us in terms of this heart and mind for justice and um, providing for people in poverty was something that was going to be kind of multiplied in other people. And we had a lot mm. of a lot of young people graduating college who wanted to do similar work. 
And so over a period of about eight years, once we kind of took over the leadership, um, the organization grew from just a few of us to about 300 staff working in 13 cities in the developing world. Um, wow. Yeah. And so we, yeah, yeah as I, I think you read in the bio, we just, we started communities of, of justice and hope for mm-hmm. children with HIV and AIDS and former child soldiers, war brides, children living on the streets um, all over the world. Wow. Gosh, that's incredible. That's, yeah. that's such good work. So y'all have been just, I mean, deep, deep in the social justice work. And I, you, you start, I know you talk a little bit about it in the beginning of the book, but one of the things that, that I want to highlight is that you do have this beautiful outline in your book regarding the soul's awakening journey that, that you parallel to this pilgrimage that you and Chris went on together. I think it was in, was it in 2007 that y'all yes, went on exactly. that? Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, and this was a journey that you, that you took after these two decades of, of social justice work that you were involved in. Well, Can you not, tell- not exactly. Oh, sorry. A- yeah. Not exactly after probably about 10 years in. Okay. Okay. Well, still, still you, you had, you know, committed to doing so much work and serving so many individuals. So you talked though about this pilgrimage. Can you tell us a little bit about each of these stages of the journey, what they are, and maybe offer a bit of an overview? Sure, sure. So, so the the journey that you're you're speaking of is the Camino de Santiago, an ancient uh, pilgrimage in the Christian tradition. The traditional route is from Saint Jean Pied de Port across northern Spain to to the final place in Santiago. And this was a, a trek that, that we made over a period of 33 days. We walked uh, about eight hours a day on average. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's an incredible experience. There's a film called The Way, if people are interested in learning more about um, this ancient practice. Uh, but the book then outlines um, these stages in the spiritual journey, which I then map against our pilgrimage, um, awakening, longing, darkness, death, transformation, intimacy, and union. And, uh, and what, I, what I came to know is that through my own inner work, spiritual work that I was going through at that time in my life, these experiences began to kind of come to mind in terms of these shapes and forms of awakening, longing, darkness, death, transformation, intimacy, and union. As I was trying to kind of find my way through a, a fairly dark spiritual season in my life, I, I came to realize that I was going through these various movements of the soul. Mm. Um, and, and so they just took form for me that way. And, and, and so I, ne- I hadn't intended to write a book. I actually was journaling through over a period of years, trying to make sense of, of my spiritual journey. And this, these, you know, these themes kind of emerged and then, mm-hmm. you know, then it ended up becoming a book uh, to help other people kind of navigate their own spiritual journey. Hmm. I think that's so good because oftentimes people are kind of going through kind of a, a darker spiritual season like you're talking about and it mm-hmm. feels like oh I, I've just I'm like failing right it's kind of this binary either I'm doing I'm succeeding or I'm failing but thinking about it as this journey this this process I think is helpful in terms of you know it's just a something that you're navigating through and you'll come out on the other side uh, with something maybe even entirely different but it's not just well now you're doing it wrong somehow 
That's right. That's so right. I think a lot of us in our early religious formation get this impression that that the spiritual life is supposed to be a rather positive and joyful kind of experience. And Mm -hmm. many of us are not prepared for um, the deeper journey that really impacts us not only on a spiritual level, but on a psychological level and relational level. And, and so, you know, find, I was really grateful to find some teachers and guides that could support my process. And um, I'm hopeful that, that this book will help others um, as they find themselves traversing the unknown seas of the spiritual journey that they weren't quite prepared for. Mm, That's really good. And, and it really does. I mean, I, absolutely feel as though this this book it does offer that almost a map or a way forward in thinking about the spiritual journey that that makes perfect sense as you're reading it but you know but we just don't have this language i think as often in traditional religious settings or in many or we do in some but 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 not always it's not always discussed as clearly that i do feel like you offer in this book mm, thank so, you yeah so I do, I want to talk about a couple, you know, again, going through some of these. So with, you know, the awakening stage was that first one that you highlighted and you unpack and discuss and then moving into um, that sense of longing. And I have to first say, I mean, to our listeners, y'all, this is easily within one of my top five favorite books. And I share it with <laughs> almost everyone I know, um, mm. the hope and prayer that they read this. And I'll, mm. I'll talk a little bit more about some specific, you know, uh, individuals who might benefit from this book, but you, your, your writing and the way that you explain some of these are so beautifully done. Um, but within the longing chapter, you write at one point though brokenness or through brokenness, we recognize our wounded condition and admit that we cannot heal ourselves. Transformation is possible when we accept our brokenness and long for that, which only God can do for us. A circular and interdependent relationship develops between longing and brokenness. And just seeing how you highlight the role of brokenness and and realizing our brokenness that comes out of that awakening stage and moves us into that sense of longing and and need for something greater than ourselves. It's just so well written. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a few pages later, you. I hope you. Do you mind that I'm re- that I'm no, reading? No, that's okay. Fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, a few pages later, you, you write just about that longing sense and, and write, um, the prayer of faith necessitates an experiential relationship with God in which I let go of control and let God be God. I let God introduce God's self to me in an existential way. I come to God in prayer based on pure faith in God's existence within me and beyond me. Preconceived notions of who I think God is are abandoned for the pure, truer reality that is God, revealed by God in God's essence. Prayer of faith is based on relationship with God rather than in what other people say about God. And in in this posture, we believe that God can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And you you say that you have this prayer. The only prayer that you could pray at this point was, God, please do for me what I cannot do for myself. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, um, as you're 
reading all of that, it's, it's helpful to kind of bring me back to those moments in my life. And it might help the listeners to know that these kind of high seas of the spiritual journey is kind of how I kind of think of it, like kind of journeying out to the high seas, like into this unknown, these unknown waters was, it was really precipitated by a crisis of faith. And, um, I, in, in the work that I was doing, I was uh, surrounded by a lot of different needs, um, in the world, like, you know, um, being faced with a lot of human suffering. And, and by the time I got to Freetown, Sierra Leone, it was the peak of the war over blood diamonds. And I, um, was face to face with human brutality in a way that I had not seen before. And, and so life has a way of, uh, challenging our religious paradigms and, uh, it's one thing to um, kind of grow up in a in a church and and have you know ideas about God and about the world and one another and it's something else <laughs> often once we um, get out into the world and live for a while and eventually um, encounter suffering in different forms whether that's personal or um, with family members or friends or whatever and so I I just um, reached this point where. Um, the things that I had known about God or thought about God and, and the world and the way in which I perceived reality and um, various paradigms began to crumble for me. And it, they just weren't holding water anymore. And, um, and I was really struggling to make sense of a lot of things. And so that um, ended up really challenging my, my faith and what I, what I had understood of God. And so that led me into this really dark night of soul where I was questioning who God was and who I was. And it's reminiscent of, of a famous memory of um, St. Francis. So the way that people write about him, they say that, that he would stay up all night praying, who are you, Lord, and who am I? And I, and I, I really think that's kind of you know where I was at this time in my life, like really questioning God and myself and the sense of identity based on the challenges I was facing in, mm. in, in my world and my life experience. So longing then was this longing to know, to a longing to know and to be known. And um, maybe for various listeners, um, you know, they might be able to identify with trying to deal with a lot of needs in their life, in their world, in their family, their community, their work. And they may find themselves um, at, a, at a point of questioning a lot of things of, of what they knew or thought that they knew. And it's at that point in the, in the spiritual journey when things really begin to take off, um, coming to terms with our own limitations and um, asking big questions and realizing that we are very small and uh, finding ourselves in a place of of brokenness and need um, ourselves, you know, even as we attempt to be available to the needs of the world. Mm. Mm. It's so good. Yeah. Well, I was going to mention, I actually just looking into the next, that next stage of darkness. I mean, I was going to mention St. John of the Cross talking about that dark night of the soul, but you touched right on that. And the fact that, you know, just how, how difficult, how painful, that season is, you know, and you write about how it's, you know, it's terrifying and inviting at the same time and agonizing, but, you know, in so many ways, it's such a necessary part of this journey 
as painful as it is. And again, whether it's our pain or us seeing and being affected by the pain of the world and those around us, there is just this, this, uh, very important stage of the journey as well. And, and just to clarify too, you write a a pretty clear explanation of what this is. and, And you say that for, John of the Cross, a dark night of the soul is an excruciating experience of being purified of false identity and attachments that keep us from greater union with God. It's one way the spirit works to bring us into more intimate relationship with God. Mm. So I I love that. Yeah. And I even a lot of this makes me think of, you know, for a lot of our listeners and what the show is, you know, going through seasons of depression or things like that. I mean, I know throughout my life through seasons of depression and things, it definitely was kind of a, a reevaluating of who it was that I knew God to be and evaluate kind of that, this like deconstruction, reconstruction from very simple, you know, God is good and he always heals or whatever, whatever the, our ideas are and f- kind of deconstructing and then reconstructing, okay, what of that is true, but that also makes sense in light of my suffering or the suffering of other people, right? Having friends go through things or like your, your experiences. So I think even in kind of the, through the mental health lens, this makes a lot of sense. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. We can't separate psychology from spirituality. They're incredibly intertwined. And um, we do well to serve people in a way that helps them understand how to support their mental health and how to integrate spiritual practices in such a way that that it'll really make a difference to their overall well-being. Yeah. And I think sometimes our, our belief system uh, has a hard time being kind of filtered and or translated into our, our everyday experience into a lived reality. So we have these ideas in our head and we have these beliefs perhaps that we hold to, but how are those beliefs appropriated in our life? How are they making any difference in terms of Mm. our life experience? Right. Mm, Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, that's exactly what you're saying. You are (laughs) preaching to the choir with just the importance of integrating our um, faith into our mental health and psychology. And there is, you know, we can't separate them. You're absolutely right. No, They're I don't, so I don't really deeply interwoven. <laughs> <laughs> so you go, you go on further talking about death and, and in this chapter, highlighting the, the fact that, that something needs to die in order for something to be brought to life. Mm. Um, and I really... Again, just appreciate how you walk us through that and what that looks like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think in my own experience anyway, it's been quite clear that as I progress in life and in the spiritual journey, there are parts of my identity that I've needed to die to so that Mm. I might live into a truer version of myself. Uh, And early on in the book, I address these three programs for happiness that um, my teacher Thomas Keating highlights that are basic to our humanity. They're our basic biological needs for a degree of security and survival, power and control and affection and esteem. And, Mm. you know, as children, we need a a certain degree of of these to develop um, in a healthy way. And um, the problem occurs in adulthood when we over-identify with these programs or we are um, overly attached to them. 
And this coincides with the invitation of Jesus to, in a sense, take up our cross and follow him. What does that mean? Oftentimes, taking up our cross confronts us with the ways that we are over-attached to having control or being secure or um, desiring the approval of other people. And in my life, it became clear uh, that I, my identity was found very much in what other people think about me and, um, and their affection mm-hmm. and their approval was um, taking a lot of priority in my life to the point that I, I couldn't, in a sense, follow Jesus wherever Jesus would lead me, which is, a, is an unfortunate teaching in a way because I think it gets translated to us that like, wherever Jesus is going to call us, it's going to be really hard and awful. And it's going to be, you know, like, (laughs) you know, something that's going to be really tough for us to do. But what I have found is that the way in which God calls me or leads me is into my highest, best, truest, most fulfilling self and most fulfilling life. It doesn't mean that it's, that there aren't difficulties, but in the ways that I'm more concerned about what other people think of me, to that degree, I will be limited then in being able to live into my true, truest self and my highest potential. So, for example, uh, writing a book, if I was more concerned about what people thought about me, I would never have put myself on display in a book of this nature, like mm-hmm. a vulnerable work, putting myself out there and questioning yeah. And challenging, you know, some of the religious paradigms that I grew up with, you know, writing this book, publishing this book was a, a huge part of being true to who I am and um, living into my potential. And, and there have been decisions like that, you know, time and time again in my life. And so as we um, awaken and become more self-aware, we realize the ways in which we are really holding our own self back by, I think these programs for happiness are just a really great framework to look at, you know, to consider how am I more concerned about power and control, security and survival or affection and esteem? And how are those things holding me back from being who I truly am, who God has really called me to be? And how can I die to those attachments so that I can live a a freer, more abundant, fuller life um, where I'm you know, living into my best self and contributing um, to the to the best good of, of those around me. Mm, that's so good. That's so good. Oh, I'm taking so many notes from this right now. I can't even keep up, but I can't wait to listen back to this. <laughs> <laughs> that's so good. Gosh, mm. Lena. So mm. you so you walk us through then the next part being that transformation. So going through that path of death and and awakening to yeah, to just that next step of death, but then moving into transformation. This chapter is I just have it how oh, man it is torn up with pen and highlighter <laughs> and and I love it. There's one section that you have that I read often to my students and and to some of my colleagues that I wanted to offer to our listeners too. But it's within this chapter of transformation where you write, 
In our modern world, it is much too easy to overextend our limits toward activity and productivity. Stillness, solitude, and silence are not valued today like they may have been for our ancestors, whose days were filled with these qualities simply by the nature of their life's labor and limitations. We tend to see restrictions to activity and engagement as something to be avoided, but limitations and restrictions can be a grace for us. Within the context of our limitations, God can do for us what we cannot. The caterpillar cannot make herself become the butterfly. That kind of change requires confinement, solitude, stillness, and receptivity to something bigger than herself. That is how transformation is made possible. Remember, we cannot make ourselves grow, but we can choose to submit to or resist the process. And though much growth takes place in our active lives, all elements of creation are subject to contemplative stillness as an integral part of growth and transformation. The butterfly does not become the magnificent, colorful creature by a fury of activity. She submits to the confinement of the chrysalis, womb-like, tomb-like. She is still, she rests, she receives. She submits to a work more glorious than she could have ever conjured up for herself. Oh, <laughs> Is there an audiobook version of this? Because if not, I think Holly should read it the whole time. Uh, yeah. I'll yeah, just keep recording. Idea. Holly, go back to the beginning. That's a great idea. They really do need to put it into audio. I I actually was recording um, the audio book for my next book um, this Mm -hmm. past week. Yeah. That one will be available, but I don't think they've got it for this. Oh, I think Mm. they need it for this one. But I think you should do it. (laughs) Tell me me what you, I mean, just tell me about this transformation stage. What, Um, What was this like for you? And yeah. Let me also preface all of this by saying for the reader who may grab one of these books to remember that this isn't a linear process. It's, um, yes, the circle right. journey, you know, really is moving in and out of these different stages. And, uh, we can go in any direction and in any order at any given time. Um, and so the, the gift comes in discerning, you know, where am I at right now? What's happening right now? So that I can, as that text that you read just said, so that I can cooperate with this season. I can cooperate with God in this season. I can um, submit to the work that's taking place in me. And um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it, as you're reading that, it made me think about, you know, why I value meditation so much because Mm. um, in a a meditation practice where we are practicing being still um, cultivating interior solitude and silence that we, uh, are most conditioned and receptive to this work of God in us, this work that we can't do for ourselves. We can only, you know, be receptive to it. And that's what meditation really allows for. Um, it teaches us to, to be, you know, to slow down, first of all. And, and, it, and it really um, presumes that we know that we actually need this inner work that it, if we're going to give ourselves to the practice of meditation, then we have come to an awakening and an understanding that we need God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, and that we um, desire to live into our potential as children of God, you know, with divine DNA, that though I am, I am small and I am finite and I am limited and I am in need of, of God to do for me what I cannot do for myself, 
uh, the flip side of that is I'm a child of God. <laughs> I am mm-hmm. my DNA that I am not just human, but I am also divine. And I think we miss that message often in our religious mm. upbringing. Um, many of us have heard too much about how horrible we are in our human nature. Um, Jesus, you know, is, is, is the model for us. He's our teacher and he helps us realize that we are human and divine, that, um, that we are the beloved, that to live into that, uh, that identity, that understanding of who we are holds incredible power for healing our world, beginning with you know, the relationships that are closest to us. Mm. That's so good. So I want to jump back just a second. You were talking about the importance of meditating and sitting still. Let me ask you. So I'm like pure millennial through and through and sitting still is one of the worst things that I do in my whole life, right? Like constantly looking at a phone or checking on this or checking on that, even though I know theoretically that sitting still is really important, right? but I'm just so bad at it. So for people that are listening that are right now, just like preach it to me, what's the the first step in like, how do we learn how to just sit still and just like mm. exist and be? Mm, mm, I know. I hear you. You are not alone. And, and this um, inability to sit still is just getting harder and harder for us. Um, our attention span, it's, is um, getting shorter and shorter and shorter and, our digital devices are um, creating incredible um, addictions for us. And it's, it's a real thing, you know, it's really affecting our brain. So all the more reason why we, we've got to get serious about spiritual practice like meditation, because otherwise we're going to totally just wreck ourselves and everyone around us because that, that frenzy, that internal frenzy that can't slow down and can't come to stillness and has to be, continually stimulated, um, is so ungrounded. It's not centered in our essence. It is this frenzy of, of energy and activity that is really often, um, I think really, well, it's, it's ego driven. Um, it's, it's, I think connected to these programs for happiness. So it's, it's a very complex issue that we're dealing with in our human condition in these times. So what's the first step? I mean, one thing that we can use our smartphone for can help us with meditation. So there's a great app that I highly recommend called Insight Timer, Mm. and it's free and it's the world's largest meditation timer, meaning that the most people, uh, more people are using this app for meditation than any other in the world. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, There's hundreds of thousands of people meditating on it every day. There's a worldwide map so that you can see like where people are meditating at any given time. Mm -hmm. And then I think what's so helpful um, to your point is that um, there are these guided meditations that, I mean, basically you just have like a menu of whatever you want. So if you want to sit for five minutes, you can look up five minute meditation, you can, you know, filter by that and find someone who's guiding you to be there. And I think that really is a great way to start to have someone else with you in those moments, guiding you, helping you to slow down, to stop. Now, the thing is, it's going to be hard. We're going to have 
sensations, we're going to have feelings, emotions, we're going to have all kinds of thoughts when we sit down to meditate. And what's important is to remember that it's practice. So we are learning, we're practicing how to be with all of the distractions in our mind and our body and our heart in a different way than we normally Mm -hmm. are. So that rather than being driven by all of that energy in our mind, heart and body, we um, develop the skill to get a little bit of distance from it so that we can more often respond to life rather than react from that nervous, anxious, driven energy. And um, more often, you know, responding to life from our truest, highest self. I mean, this is, in, in a nutshell, what um, one of the you know real benefits of meditation, giving us that perspective. And if you can have a guided meditation helping you, um, at least in the beginning, um, I think I think that's a great place to start. That's awesome. Yeah, I do. I second that with the Insight Timer app. I use that each day too for centering prayer and have loved it. Um, so it's, yeah, I love that. And then the so, other cool thing about that for millennials, I think millennials will like it, is that you can like make friends on there with people you don't know, but you can also friend your friends. So then like when I sit down to meditate every morning with that timer, I can see all my different friends who are also meditating at that time. And that creates a nice, yeah, a nice kind of support. An accountability maybe too, Mm -hmm, even. (laughs) mm -hmm. Yeah, because people can be like, gosh, gosh, Robert, I haven't seen you on the Insight Timer lately. What's up Uh, with your practice? Calling me out specifically. (laughs) I love that. That's awesome. What maybe we need to have? We'll have a CXMH um, centering prayer app or, or group or mm. something too. We should do that. All right. So I I want to mention those last two stages are intimacy and union. But I will let our listeners go out and read the book so they can learn about those last stages and 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 what you have to say about those last two. But they're so important. And I love how you brought them to life at the grounding retreat too. Mm-hmm. Um, you did such a good job with that. Um, there's a couple of, so for those of you, we've talked a little bit on this, on this podcast before about the Enneagram very briefly. And one of the things that I wanted to highlight too, is that Felina, you do such a good job talking about the journey as someone who identifies as a type two. And so for our listeners who I would imagine we have a lot of listeners who identify as type two with who are interested in these helping professions that <laughs> that um, this podcast serves. And so so I love that you walk through that so vulnerably, and I am so thankful for that. But also your layer as a woman and some of those messages that are received from our culture around our roles and abilities, um, you, you walk through that too real beautifully. So... So I really want to just kind of let our listeners know about those as well. So I, the last question that I really wanted to pitch out, I know we're, we're getting short on time, but if you were to say like, what is your hope for this book or what is it that you would really hope that your readers would take away or do after, after reading this book, what would that be? Oh, I, I would hope that my readers would take responsibility for their life. Um, which begins by um, prioritizing spiritual practice, any kind of spiritual practice that supports self-awareness, awakening, because that's how we can then take 
responsibility for ourselves. And once we do that, then we um, are freer to live into our truest, highest self. And, um, and that's the self that can change the world. Oh, that is so good. Thank you so much. Well, if you would like to connect with Felina Hewitt, you can find her on Twitter or Facebook at Felina or at her website, Felina.com. And she's also on Instagram. Um, if you're interested in gravity, which I had mentioned earlier in the episode, you can find it on Instagram at Gravity Center, Facebook, uh, or its website at gravitycenter.com. If you'd like to connect with Robert Bohr, you can find him at robert-bohr.com or on social media at Robert Bohr. Or you can find me at hollyoxhandler.com or on Twitter at hollyoxhandler. Felina, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, Is there anything else that you'd like to add before we wrap up? No, it's just been a real pleasure to be with you both. Thanks for your invitation and for the conversation today. Thank you so much. And we look forward to having you on again soon. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the CXMH podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH Podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMHpodcast at gmail.com. A final note. If you're in a dark place today, struggling with suicidal thoughts, you are not alone. Professional help is available 24-7 at 1-800-273-8255.